in 2023, it is impossible to be poor. If you cannot collate investment for your business, it's a shit business. Not being successful was never even a possibility for me. If you're a business owner and you still use email, you're stupid. Reaching a black belt level in martial arts taught me discipline. Anyone that eats spinach is ruining their health. When everyone is digging for diamonds, he said, you don't go and dig for diamonds. You go and you make the shovel that the people need to buy to dig for their diamonds. The Pakistanis that I know have all come to England, immigrated like your dad. They bought one house, all the family lives there. <laughs> then they go, then they buy the house next door and then, then all of a sudden they own the street. Trusts are the best way to go. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, it doesn't matter. Money is money. That was the most expensive equity I have ever sold in my life because on that day I made a promise to my father that he he gets 50% of everything I do. It's so hard to hire best person for the job because they usually don't need you. They're good enough to go and start their own business. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. Sabi Youssef, Hello. welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It, it only took you six months to ask me. Well, you know, I was just, I was just warming up. I, do you know, if, if I knew the outfit was coming today, I would have asked you, see, like, you, you got your name yeah. on your nails. Name on my nails. Say my name. The, 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 the outfit. This is why you got to watch on YouTube, guys, because the, the, the outfit. I, I walked down to reception to pick up Saba for this podcast. And I was like, oh, I'm underdressed. For, I'm underdressed. I, I'm, I'm underdressed for this one. I, I even had to ask her to explain it because it's just, you just get on YouTube, have a look. But Saba, I, I was trying to think of ways before this podcast yes. to explain what you do. I know you work in STEM and I know yes. you work in a lot of tech and all this other stuff that you do. And I couldn't find an adequate way to summarize what you do and how you invest and how you move. So I just wanted, for the audience's sake, to give your overview, like the detailed overview of what you do and how you kind yeah. of come into it. I'm so glad, by the way, that you couldn't find an adequate way to explain me because I don't think I fit in any box I don't think there is an adequate way to explain me, but that's what I love about myself. Um, I, I invest in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. That's mainly what I do. That is my focus. It's not what I studied. I studied economics. And I invest in companies, uh, SMEs and small companies, and with the view to take them public, list them on the stock market. So with that, it's like rolling up a series of companies or just one company and rolled up? You know what? It can be either. Sometimes we just acquire a share of one company and then we list it. Sometimes it makes sense to have a few acquisitions before the listing to increase the share price. I mean, you've got to be creative. So when if we go back into your childhood, and obviously you grew up in a Pakistani family, obviously they have a lot of expectations, as I yes. know, from the UK, what yes. you should do, the jobs you should take, mm-hmm. the paths, everything's pre- preordained probably when you're born, yeah. whether you're a male or a female, like yeah. they, they, they're kind of pre-planning in their head what you're going to do. Mm. How, what, obviously, what, things that you have to overcome then from that childhood and from that strict parent parent base to kind of 
get into what you did because I'm sure there's a lot of steps in here that we're missing out. Yeah, I think I had to go through a lot, but my parents also went through a lot. Um, you know, they they came to London when they were very young, under the age of ten years old, and but they did grow up with that immigrant mentality. You know, you know those parents you can spot it anywhere, and they invested in my future and my education a lot, and I thank them for it. But at the time, obviously, I did not understand. But there are my parents are super modern, but they're still old fashioned. So I grew up a bit like that, and then you get really confused at certain ages in your life. For example, I went to an all-girls school. I went to a girls' school so that boys stayed away from me. There was no other reason. That is why I was sent to this girls' school because my parents thought, "Well, she'll turn out a better human if she stays away from boys." That that was their thought process. And uh, when I went to university, obviously university is mixed. I did not know how to be in a classroom with boys. Men. I had no idea. It was so shocking to me. I was so uncomfortable. I would just sit there and there would be all these men around whilst I'm trying to study. And I felt so uncomfortable. So I think I would send my kids to a mixed school because I think it's important to know how to interact with the opposite sex. So when you had to overcome these things, like even the basic communication skills with, with men, like what kind of things did you did you find that were the hardest things? Just or even even introducing yourself, talking to people, stuff like that. Yeah, I was super shy around men when I hit university because it was the real time, first real time I was interacting with them. Obviously I had guy friends in school, but not really, by the way, because I wasn't allowed. So if there was a party going on or uh, boys at someone's house, sometimes I would lie and just say it's girls, but sometimes my parents would call the girl's mum to check. So I didn't really have any experience besides family, friends or cousins. So you just wing it. It's just trial and error. You build your confidence slowly. And I wish I'd had that confidence when I was a kid. I think because obviously your mum and dad obviously came to the UK with pretty much probably nothing or, or less than less than what they my have My dad now. had nothing. And my mum was from a wealthy family. Your mum your was yeah. from a wealthy yeah. family. Yeah. Right? And so, my dad was completely self-made. So, you, ha, ha, so your dad then had to, had, to, had to make it in terms of the wealth that he's made now in construction and stuff like that because obviously he had to set a president because he's, de- he's yeah. dating this wealthy, wealthy... Well, I don't from- know if they dated. Um, I think they got married after three months. <laughs> really? Yeah. So what happened is, so my parents were introduced. They got married after three months. My mum's sister met my dad's brother at the wedding. They fell in love and got married three months later. <laughs> So, how cute uh, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very traditional and this, and this is yeah. what one people understand about uh, yeah. about the, the pakistani tradition and how it's all like it was all arranged and everything like that but was it was it like you've been so i suppose in you've been brought up in from because one thing i've known from 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 i was brought up in middle class england mm-hmm. right so one of the things that i had you are conditioned to a certain level of lifestyle and sure. the, and you have to work harder to earn more money. And this is a mentality that I've had to break myself. But you, I feel I feel like because you were brought up in a more wealthy and affluent environment, mm-hmm. you've not, some of the pre-limiting beliefs that the middle class and lower class societies are taught by their parents, you've, mm-hmm. you've, you've got an abundant mindset with. Mm-hmm. Do, is, is, am I right in thinking that? Like, am I right in thinking that? I think that's spot on. You don't have the blocks. Yeah, that's so spot on because when it comes to success, I have an abundance mindset. I have no limiting factors because I saw it growing up. This when it comes it, yeah. to marriage, I have a limiting factor because my parents are divorced. Right, okay. So I did not grow up seeing happy marriages. I didn't understand what that meant when I was a kid and that made me develop that limiting belief. And it's taken me two, 
10 years, I'd say, to feel okay about marriage, that marriage is actually a healthy, happy thing. See, see, I had, I had the opposite in, in my life because my, my, my mum and dad, they've done, they've done well. They've got, yeah. got home, other houses and rental portfolios yeah. and all that stuff, yeah. but it's, it, it's still like a higher middle class type yeah. environment. Yeah. It's still not the, like the wealth kind of factor that you've yeah. probably come from. But the beautiful thing about that is the fact that they've been married like 44 years and that stability now is something I realized that I have to look for in a partner that I, that I get with yeah. in, in the future because it's something that's very important to me. Yeah. Pre- premedicated by my environment yeah. but what were the habits and what were the things that, that your parents were teaching you from yeah. a young age especially around this money concept because yeah. i feel like a lot of people that listen to this yeah. will have a preordained programmed mindset on money yeah. that you've just co- completely blasted through because your dad would have been conditioning you from a young age on this you know i saw it all around me so even the, the school i went to their parents were also affluent so not being successful was never even a possibility for me. It was. It's not. It will never be a reality for me. So I will never let it come true, because I saw abundance all around me, even where we lived and growing up in London. You see it everywhere. So that is what's familiar to you, and you always stay in your comfort zone. Right. But you know, I'm I'm happy that you touched upon the similarities between us. Say, growing up, you had successful parents. I get bullied so much because people assume, oh, she's from a privileged background. Therefore, her success is not worthy. And I I really get hurt by it. And I'll tell you why. I had the opportunity to not work a day in my life and have a lovely life. I chose not to do that. Risk my money, risk my inheritance, work 20-hour days, have sleepless nights to do something with my life. So when someone comes to me and tries to troll me that, oh, I'm, I'm a spoilt trust fund girl, so your success doesn't matter, all it does is show me their insecurity. And all it does is show me that they will never be able to be successful. Because if you really were, you wouldn't be bothered with me. You would not bother trying to bully me. You would get on with your life and you would maybe take inspiration from me. I take inspiration and tips from other people. That's what you should be doing. That is an abundance mindset. So it's, it's literally like how it, every time someone throws something at you or tries to push something onto you, that it's literally like three fingers point back, shows you everything about them and shows you the patterns and the traumas that they're probably going through in their own totally, life totally. that they have to deal with. Yeah. I, re- I really want to get into the into what your dad taught you about uh, around money though, and what were some of the systems because I, I think in order to a lot of people hate on people from generational wealth and I know you yeah, I don't I, know I, why I, 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 but I <laughs> but I like to I didn't come from I didn't come from that yeah. I did, it, they um, were successful in their my, my family was successful in their own right I didn't yeah. I didn't come from that yeah. but one thing I do is I don't I don't hate on you guys that have been born into it I just want to understand it more mechanically and understand what you're being yeah. taught yeah. that I wasn't taught yeah. so that I can so that I can fully understand and so I can articulate to this audience yeah. the thing what are the how are you blasting through those levels? Because there's levels to this game and obviously you were taught that from a young age. So I'll tell you how. My father taught me to be disruptive from the age of five years old. Disruptive with money as well. First, before he started teaching me this, he told me, Sabs, never ever rely on any man's pocket, even mine. Because money comes and goes. You never know what's going to happen. So I grew up knowing that yes, okay, it, it will be great to have, but I might not get anything. So when you grow up 
with an abundance mindset, but also motivation that that abundance might become scarce, it's a double force. And another thing that he taught me, he really taught me how to be disruptive. I'll tell you how. I'll never forget this story. He said, focus on one thing that you love, that you're passionate about. He said, imagine you really care about diamonds. You think they're so beautiful. Look into the business of diamonds. When everyone is digging for diamonds, he said, you don't go and dig for diamonds. You go and you make the shovel that the people need to buy to dig for their diamonds. And he said, when everyone starts copying you, you be more disruptive. You start importing the raw materials that you need to sell to the shovel makers to make the shovels to sell to the diamond dealers. That is being disruptive. And this is how I always knew I would be abundant. Because there's a solution for everything. If you are thrown into any situation in life, be disruptive. How are you disruptive? Find a delta. All you have to do is find an arbitrage and you will make money. And because you are so obsessed with your passion, you will find the delta so easily. So you think then that the arbitrage that people are looking for that listen to this episode, the arbitrage that they should look for should always align with their interests. Yeah, because then you'll find the best arbitrage. Because uh, see, what I see on a lot of podcasts is a lot of podcasts go, here here are the five best industries to go into. Mm. That's that's such bullshit. Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. That is such bullshit. Because it just takes you off down the path you where, lose focus yeah. in, in, in life. You are copying the same five things that everyone else is now Googling. You've missed the opportunity. You have to focus on the one thing that you really love, and it doesn't have to be that deep. It can be alcohol. It can be going out. It can be something scientific. It can be deep tech. It does not matter. It could be getting your eyebrows threaded. Whatever. If you just be so good at that subject, which you will be if you love it, then find the Delta and make money from the Delta. It's that simple. It is in 2023, it is impossible to be poor. Impossible. All you have to do is find the Delta in your industry. And if you really don't know how to get clients, build an online community, they will be your clients. So with you saying that it's impossible to be poor, I already know there's thousands of people listening to this automatically triggered by their previous patterns of their middle class maybe lower class upbringings that are angry right now good they should be triggered because you need a trigger sometimes to wake up all you need to make money in 2023 is a phone that's it and people in africa have a phone so you have no excuse Uh, if you're triggered that's your problem with yourself again that's something you need to fix we need to fix our triggers you don't go and blame someone else for your triggers you have to fix yourself so what? What are the? So you're saying, start off with them finding what they what the, what the, the thing that they're interested in, or building building an audience. Yeah, find what you're interested in, find the delta, find that the bit that someone is missing that someone needs, and find a way to give it to them. There's always something going on in every industry, and then if you don't know how to acquire customers, if your customer acquisition is poor, just go and build an online community on Instagram. It will take a month. And then they will be your clients. They are your ready-made clients. The power of community now is so strong. Starting a business and making it successful has never been easier in 2023. It was much harder in our parents' generation because you just had old-fashioned business. They didn't even have mobile phones. Yeah, I mean, literally all my dad did was like work, take take the money, buy property, work, take the money, buy property. Because that's that's the only way he could see other people doing it from the level of 
operate opportunity he had and he came my dad came off a council estate so you know um, my dad came from pakistan yeah 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 it's, yeah i'm, I'm just i'm just yeah. saying it's, 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 it's a similar thing though yeah, like being on a council yeah. estate in england is yeah. just it's, yeah. it's just it's probably similar to coming from yeah. pakistan these days yeah. like in terms of like the, yeah. the the level of opportunities and things that are happening but what was the first time what was the first thing you did in order to to implement that strategy that you talked about there so what was the first business you kind of did that with it was, um, I tell you, I was 24 and I had started my first business. It was a health food business called Clever Canneries. And I found that people were really trying to lose weight and people were spending money on things to try and lose weight and they didn't know how. I happen to be obsessed with science, <laughs> as you know, and I found stuff that could help people lose weight, minerals, in a natural way. And they were ubiquitous, they're readily available, but people just didn't know how to put the two and two together. So people were spending money, they were not losing weight, because that's typically what the diet industry does to you. And I had a solution. So all, it's, all I did is I put L-carnitine, all these ingredients before they became big, into health foods. So people were buying them, and then they were actually getting to benefit from the ingredients I had put inside them. Now, typically now what you do is you go and buy L-carnitine and you take it in a pill. But people didn't even know about L-carnitine before. They didn't know how to make their health purchases a little bit better. And that's all I did. It was so simple. And it's simple as like, okay, here's a, here's a gap in the market. Yeah. That, so you just took it and they put it in an existing product. Yes. I so put it into a product they were already buying every day and paying for protein bars, health bars, whatever, they were already buying it. You don't need to change someone's purchase psychology too much to be successful. Put it in something they already use. Right now I'm putting some of my scientific, scientific innovation into a toothpaste because I know everyone uses toothpaste. I don't want to add another step to their morning routine. That's too much work. Well, one of your businesses that I was researching was um, a company that puts a clear liquid on solar panels yeah. that improves the performance of solar panels by 25%. Yeah. Again, sounds so simple. That was not simple. That was deep science. That was hard work. That was high risk. That was sleepless nights. Um, crying myself to sleep almost every night during that because of the amount of risk I had taken and the amount of people I was responsible for. You wake up in my field, you wake up in the morning and you are responsible for everyone's payroll, their livelihood, their children, their bills, and it is a lot of pressure. But I love to take risk. So when you get a little bit stronger in your industry, you can afford to take a bit more risk. And that, that was a very risky technology uh, that I invested into. And uh, luckily, we, we managed to make a success out of it. We made money out of it. But I would never encourage anyone to start their business doing risky things. Well, the way you actually acquired capital in the first place was interesting to me because mm. you had to, I was reading about it, and you, your dad said you had to hit certain criteria to even be involved yeah. in the actual yeah. um, inheritance in any form, it, you know, should anything happen or when anything happens to be. So he said you had to be do this, this and this and this. Yeah. I want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about the fact of, I think you took 50,000 pounds off your, off your dad, but the, but, but, and a lot of people were thinking, oh yeah, she's come from wealth. She's yeah. been given 50,000 pounds. Yeah. I, I understand your concept, but let me, let me, let me break this down for you guys. Like, <laughs> You you used what you told them to use in the first place. You used other people's money to OPM. fund your startup. OPM. Startup. Always OPM, guys. 
Yeah. There is no need, however money you have or you don't have, there is no need to ever spend your own money. Now, this is the concept I want you to break down. Yeah. Can you can you unpack all that that I've just said and answer those questions, but okay. also unpack this OPM and how you use it? Okay, so I got given a loan for £50,000. And again, people love to troll me for this. By the way, that was the most expensive equity I have ever sold in my life because on that day I made a promise to my father that he gets 50% of everything I do. With that 50 grand? With 50,000 pounds. You know how expensive that is. It's very expensive. And I have to honor my word. It was a contract. It was a deal. So yeah, I, I, I got the loan. I lost most of it. And then I invested in that solar technology. And it did very well. And this was after I had sold my first company, the, the health brand. When it comes to OPM, I don't know why people feel they have to use their own money to invest in their own business. If you're running the business, you're doing everything, you're the mastermind of it, you're managing, you're leading, you are the IP, you are the brand, you are the business. So why is it that you need to put your own money in it as well? If you cannot collate investment for your business, it's a shit business. If it's if it is not able to raise any money, you're doing something wrong and you need to go back to the drawing board. It's as simple as that. If, I mean, all you need sometimes is 5,000 pounds. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, especially now, like I said, because you have the power of social media. But just break the, 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 the piece of that that I really want you to articulate is the thought process mm -hmm. in the actual qualifying. In yeah. your, how do you qualify in your mind yeah. to find out which business is worth the, even the pursuit? Because what I find is a lot of people are capping themselves because they're in the wrong boat. Mm -hmm. Meaning, mm -hmm. they're the plumber that starts a plumbing business. Yeah. They're the the chiropractor that starts a chiropractic business. Yeah. That to me is just like, yes, you're in a better boat than what you were before, but that's mm -hmm. not a boat that you can thirty x mm -hmm. your your time to to value ratio with. So I want to understand the thought process bit to that and how that how that comes across. Totally. So after you have thought of a business idea, and after you have pursued some OPM. You have some other people's money that you've collected to family, friends, round, anything. When you start your business, don't do what everyone else is doing because you will not get that 30x. You have to go deeper than that. If you are a chiropractor and you leave your job and you start a chiropractic business, that involves overheads, startup costs. Okay, you get it funded via OPM. But then what? There's customer acquisition. There's a lot going on there. You'll be lucky if you get 2x. In fact, most people in the service industry actually lose money in their first business. So what I would do if I was a chiropractor, I would disrupt. I would screw the business. I would not open my own chiropractor surgery. That is way too much work. I would go around telling people, other chiropractors in my industry, how to be more financially independent and make more money by going onto social media. Actually, I just did this for a friend. He's a doctor. He wanted to open up his own private clinic. I said, in London, have you seen the overheads? You're going to spend $5 million and make zero in five years. So what he did is he set up an Instagram account for the first time. And all he does is give people free health advice on social media, which he thoroughly enjoys giving. And now he is booked seven days a week, nine to five. I mean, he makes his own hours. And all he did was give out some free information. He sits at home on the phone 
And he is a 24-hour doctor, basically. And he earns way more money than his current job. And he earns way more money than if he were to set up his own clinic, be in severe debt, um, be super stressed, and probably not make any money in it. He sits at home. He has a great family life. He is booked whenever he wants, but the demand is there. He, he could be booked nine to five, seven days a week if he wanted to. And people are paying a lot of money for his service. I'll tell you why. When you go to the doctor, you have to wait. If you're on the NHS, you have to wait two, three weeks. So people go private. Paying for a private doctor is a lot. What he did is he started a subscription model. He is a subscription online doctor. Now imagine if he replicated that for the whole service industry, for doctors, for um, therapists, for, for all those things that we need that don't involve physical meetings. A dentist can't do it. That is how you disrupt your own business. Go deeper. Don't do what everyone is doing. Don't be surface level. Get onto social media, build an online community, and you will be so valuable to your followers that you will make, you will make 30x. That database he's collected, it will be worth 30x. Yeah, because obviously the, the, the thought process in doing that yeah. is one or two steps beyond the yeah. thought process that most people put into starting any business. Be disruptive. He has zero overheads. And most of the best, <laughs> most of the best businesses that are, that are being started and the most valuable right now have less overheads. Like I know Gymshark has a lot of overheads based on, based on their manufacturing and their structure mm-hmm. behind the scenes. I understand that. But when they started, let's, let's just be fair. They started with a Shopify website yeah. and, a, and, a little, and a little garage unit that had um, gym clothes in it. Yeah. Low overheads, one laptop, two people in the business. They scaled. Keep your business lean. Just keep it as lean as possible. Business has changed. It's not old-fashioned anymore. You have to think ahead. You don't even need an office these days. No one cares if you have an office or not. No one even visits your office. So why do you need to pay for an office? Because you you think in the movies that's how business is done. No, it's not. Keep your business as lean as possible. Well, it's even... Guys, I got a lesson from... From you, didn't I? I've got a lesson. Do you remember the lesson you gave me? I don't know. I probably gave you a lot. I'm joking. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I, 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 I told so The email one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, now, you, now you remember. Now you remember. You literally handed me, handed me a lesson. Literally handed me. And I thought this, and I thought this, this is a clap. When, when you took, so I, I said to Sabah, like, obviously we confirmed the podcast. Yeah. I will send you an email with a calendar invite and, and it'll list out where you are. She, and what what did you say to me? So you offered over WhatsApp to send me a calendar invite. I remember looking at it and my, my face was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And I wrote to you, <laughs> no, email is a waste of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, and you said, please explain. Basically... If because I knew that because because <laughs> I'll add I thought here's some generational wealth wisdom that I need to learn right now. <laughs> so, Listen, if you're a business owner and you still use email, you're stupid. It's as simple as that. Email is for employees. Email is for the hard work, the slog, the writing, the attachments, all of that. Email is for management of the business. If you're a business owner, you are not the manager, you are the leader. Don't try to manage the business. You have to lead everyone. So I have a PA. She tells me where I need to be, how, when, what, how, when, and I turn up. I don't have a problem. I trust her with my schedule. Any attachments that I need to read or sign goes to my WhatsApp or Telegram. 
if I open my laptop, open my email app, read the 1,000 unnecessary words when I just need to reply yes, no, I have lost so much time and time is money and my time is expensive. I do not, I cannot afford to use email. It's the stupidest thing ever. But there was a deeper reason than that as well. I mean, that's that that was the lesson that you gave to me and told me about like, Frankie, you don't have time for this, you don't have time for that. Yeah. What are you doing with this? What are you doing yeah. with that? And yeah. and not and to be fair, yeah. I had to take it because it's the truth. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's sometimes it's hard to take the truth, but you've got to be willing to listen and learn on these things. But there was a deeper reason as to why you didn't You want the legal reason. Yeah, I want the legal reason, yeah. So another reason that I don't use email is because email is forever. Someone tried to sue me based on one email that I innocently wrote and they tried to twist it to make it look like I wanted to do something that I definitely didn't want to do. And from that moment, I realized email is dangerous because it can be used against you even when you're innocent. So if you are in a field where there is a lot of litigation, as there is in in biotech and pharma, medtech, don't use email because that is evidence Email is permanent evidence and they can even, the court can even ask to retrieve your old laptop from 10 years ago and they will check your server and they will find everything. So if you don't want to implicate yourself, even if you're innocent, do not use email. But where does, but where do you draw the line with this? Because obviously, is, is it enough for you being one stage removed and, and an employee using email for you to, to avoid any litigation in the future? No, definitely not. But you're helping your cause. Because obviously in your field, you, you are going to have to use email. Not you personally, but, but there are people in your, within your business of within, course. Your, within your structure. Of course, everyone else uses email. Of course, it's a, it's a perfect way to communicate, but not for business owners. For business owners, right. it's a big waste of time. You're wasting your time. Everyone should be reporting to you with the synopsis of all the emails that have gone on that day, that week, and they should only come to you for what they need, and they need to be the ones communicating with the others, going back and forth, uh, doing email, not the business owner. We don't have time for that. So how, how long did it take you from starting your first business and investment to removing yourself out of any businesses and any structure? Was it, was it literally like day one because you were investing in other businesses? No, not at all. I'm not removed from any structure. I have full, full structure in my in my week, in my career, in my businesses. Um, but it take it takes years. I'm still working on it. I mean, you learn every day. I got a tip over the weekend that um, when you start a new project, you have a plan. He doesn't let, my friend, he doesn't let the plan move up or down in costs for more than 5%. I said, whoa, that's tight, that's strict. I was shocked. Because you know when you, when you launch a business or you launch a new project or a new campaign in the business, you know, things change, you know, costs add up or um, stuff you don't expect happens. He said he does not allow more than 5% movement to the original plan. Otherwise, they get fired. And none of his employees have moved out of that 5%. Because when you're scared, you make it happen. And he, and how did he come to, to the 5%, not 10%? How, how did Just an arbitrary figure he's pulled out of the air? Or has he, has he, has he calculated that predicated on some I knowledge that I'm missing I think he's had a lot here? of experiences uh, right. where things went out of control. And they did not stick to plan. So this is probably his average. He's just taken an average calculation of what it should look like. And people have stayed within those limits. Yeah. And you think having... Um, a, a, so you think then from that, that 
everything in your life requires some form of system and some form of um, rules that you play by. So whether that's your day in life, whether that's your business, whether that's your time off, because I know you're, I know, I know one way that you use a similar type of system is you'll only work three days a week. Yeah. So fr- fr- from that, I'm taking it that you're you're using a system for that. So is there is there other systems in your life and your business that have to happen to make everything work? That's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that, and I would think yes. Now that I'm reflecting on myself inside my head, I think everything about my Life is probably a system because I like it that way. So it's not that I work three days a week, Monday to Wednesday. Thursday to Sunday is my weekend. It's not that I have to structure my weekend, but I know that I cannot be tempted to work during those days because when I did, it impacted me negatively. So I am very strict with myself on the processes that I put into my life, yes, And I think that comes from, where does that come from? Maybe it comes from my parents, but actually it comes from martial arts. I'm trying to, I'm I'm going back in years. I'm thinking, why am I like this? It comes from martial arts. Reaching a black belt level in martial arts taught me discipline. And what I've learned is that discipline brings you peace. When you can be disciplined about the processes that you impose into your life, whatever they may be, you really have inner peace. When you're not disciplined, that's when stress comes into play. That's when you don't sleep. That's when your health deteriorates. If you can stay disciplined, everything will work out. And martial arts, ironically, is what um, kept me peaceful. Where are some of the areas in your life, though, that you've struggled to find that discipline where you've really had to work on? I think it's um, it's not in my in my business life. I think it's really in my personal life. Um, I have maybe five, six really, really close friends. And I need to work on communication. I can communicate really effectively in the office. I'm struggling to communicate with the people that I love because I feel upset to hurt them. That's something that I really need to work on and I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm trying to learn. If you have any tips, please let me know. I'm, I'm scared to hurt people's feelings that I really love and care about. So sometimes I will do things or I will ignore things or I will take pain because I don't know how to communicate them to the other person. But doesn't that come from learning how to accept that even though that you are how you are and you yeah. operate how you operate, can't you understand it from like your mom, your dad, any siblings, any other family members can only can only process and deal with, you know, what they know. And perhaps they don't know what you know. This is what people say to me. This is what my sister advises me. She said, just speak. Just say it. And they will be accepting of how you feel or who you are. But I feel so guilty to hurt people's feelings. But do, so but I do almost you even have hurt to? myself more. But do you even have to hurt feelings? Like Why, why, why do feelings have to be hurt? If there's something that I don't agree with or if there's something that I say has hurt me or something that I don't want to do, I usually shut up if it's someone that I really love. Mm. Because I feel that if I don't want to do something they want to do, I will take their happiness away from them and I feel bad. You see, there's there's a couple of parts to that. It's it's, um, you want storing it in you at a cellular level that causes you a trauma very bad so 
it has to come from understanding. You have to understand where they're coming from and be peaceful and mindful of that, even though it's not what you wanted to hear. So that allows you to not do the things that hurt the people on the other side of it. But it also allows you not to take on that trauma because what's happening at the moment from what you've just said is either they're getting a trauma because you've blown up or you're getting a trauma because you've not said something as so you close down your throat yep. chakra because yep. you've not now said. And what, what happens should, yeah. is that I, I keep it in, keep it in. And then I just let it out and I snap at someone. I, I hold it in for so long. I let it out and it's dramatic and it shouldn't have happened. So what do you think? Need to happen. So a lot of these, a lot of these triggers and a lot of these um, patterns that you talk about come from people's childhoods. Yes. So was that, did that come from, you feel feeling that you couldn't speak up towards your dad for argument's sake every day right that's where it comes from see the good thing is at least i'm aware of it i just don't know how to fix it because i have been conditioned that way if i had say an 80 percent grade on a test it wasn't a 90 something i would come I, I would come home and i would be about to tell my dad and my hands would shake i would be so scared to tell him that i didn't achieve 90 plus and I thought the ramifications were bad. Yeah, okay, I might be grounded or something. But I felt guilty that I thought I let him down. That was the core reason why I would get so stressed. So I think now it is it has transpired into my friendships, my relationships. I hate letting people down. I feel guilty. So that's why maybe I don't say it or I give them what they want or I just brush it under the rug because I don't, want them to feel that I've let them down as a friend or a partner because in my childhood my parents were so strict with me that I constantly felt that I was letting them down so what are you going to do then to rebalance this in your life so that you can move with the piece that you want to move with and it's the same as way you move in business I think it's about being honest I think I have to be honest with the people that I love and another reason that I have this conditioning is because when I was growing up I felt unaccepted by, by society. So I think I still feel unaccepted. So in my work, I've used that to my strength because I'm very confident about who I am. I accept myself, but I don't know if other people accept me. So I think it's a mixture that I need to be honest about my feelings and also be honest that if people don't accept me, it's okay. There's, there's also two parts to that because if you truly accept yourself, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a problem about whether the world accepts you or not so you're right but what happens when the people you love don't understand you the people i love definitely accept me but sometimes they don't understand me so i think okay that i'm different to him or her what's the point in explaining it and going through everything i might as well just say yes okay okay and just get on with it and just let let it brush under the rug which is very negative and i sometimes don't ever get there they do accept me for who I am, but a lot of the times they don't understand me. Do you see the difference? I, 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 I to, to a certain degree, yes. But to, to another degree, I, th- I think that the, the, the way that you find most peace would, would be to understand that it's not a case of like you having to accept what, what their thoughts or their processes is more the one of the biggest learnings in my life has been f- for me and, and my growth has been accepting that my mom for argument's sake who used to trigger the life out of me even though I loved her to bits and always have loved her mm. the reason she used to trigger me was because like I 
because I didn't, I'm like, how could she think like that? How can, how can, how can you, like, do you know what I mean? But it all comes from a place of love and she can only do the best that she can do with the information she had in the time that she's in. So she's been brought up and your mum and dad have been brought up in a certain way. They've come, uh, your, your mum's come from, come from wealth. Your dad hasn't. He's come, he's come in to work. He's got his own, he's got his own, even in the back of his mind, even though your dad's probably made all that money and, and been abundant in all areas of his life, there's still, there's still part of him that's attached to that, that poverty part. Of course. Right? Yeah. Still a grain that thinks, oh, is it all one day this going to disappear? Because you can never get rid of that one grain of, of, of sand. Which is healthy. Which is healthy because it keeps you, keeps him active. But it's like, I think the way that you've got to look at all of these family members that, that kind of like don't get where you're going and perhaps don't get everything about you is to kind of say, well, do you know what? They're only doing the best they can with the information that they have. Yeah, and true. maybe I've got, maybe because of my upbringing, I have access to more information than they have. Yeah. Does that, that make you more peaceful? It does. Thank you for that. I think I need to go a bit deeper with the people around me, the people in my life, and try to at least explain where I'm coming from sometimes. I don't think it would be as bad as I've imagined it in my head because I know they love me. So even so, so basically then at some points in your life, you're creating pain that hasn't even happened in reality. Oh Yeah, that's what, that's what stress is. Yeah. Right? It's the fear of something that hasn't even happened yet. We all do it to ourselves. So, so do you do you think then that obviously, as a successful woman, you invest in many businesses. You're you're making hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a year, and doing all that good stuff. Do you think it's become like even now become like harder to date and stuff like that within your industry because obviously you've come from a wealthy background. You're doing well yourself. You've got your independence now. You're, you're smashing it in business and in life. Is it harder to date? Does this does the pool get smaller? Like, what's what's not your advice all. to women on that? Not at all. When people say to me, when women say to me, "Oh, there are no there are no guys out there," what are you talking about? There are so many guys out there. I actually feel I in my thirties. I'm thirty five now. Um, I get approached, asked out way more than I did in my twenties. It's got nothing to do with your socioeconomic background, what you're doing, what you look like. It's to do with yourself. So in my twenties. I was making the mistakes. I was attracted to bad boys. And that's not their fault. That's my fault. And, you know, I, I, I connect everything to science. So this, this is all science, by the way. Here we go. <laughs> I, I can't help it. Lock in. <laughs> you know, in your 20s, or say in, in your young age, women, the reason that they go for bad boys is because we are programmed to want protectors that will produce good offspring and 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 be strong and protect us shield us and bad boys are usually narcissists narcissists are so good at mimicking strong men okay. they're experts at it so we we are fooled we think they're strong men when they're absolutely not and that's why young women go for narcissistic bad boys until we grow up and we realize that they are not the real men at what age do you think it changes for women? Oh, it's, it's so different. It depends when you start dating. I started dating at 24. <laughs> I started late. So it, it just depends on your personal but like growth. From a scientific point of view, there must be a pivotal age for a woman. Okay. If you want to talk about pivotal age in science, technically our eggs are the strongest when we're 18, by the way. So what does that tell us? Evolutionary psychology tells us that that means we're meant to have babies when we're 18. That's why the age of 16 we are probably at our peak of being attracted to strong men. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. So if you really, if you really want to go the, there, I'm, 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 I'm way past it. <laughs> no, 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 no. But what I meant was, yeah. what age does the psychology of a woman change? It totally depends on your life. It totally depends on your your past. What's happened in your life? Who who is to say that uh, there are some women at the age of fifty that still go for bad boys? Is there no scientific average like twenty seven? Like, I haven't I haven't researched it, but but there are so many external factors. How can there be a, a scientific test for that? There are so many environmental factors into what kind of partners that you look for, what your triggers are, what your past is, how your parents' relationship was. Um, I don't think that could ever be tested by science. One thing I know that has been tested by science, and I don't know if you could shed any light on this, is that I was reading a study about the pill mm. and how the pill changes what women's attracted to. Yeah, it's so funny. Is 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 that true? Yeah, of course. This this has been tested, but from yeah, it's so funny. This this has been tested scientifically, but one of my friends who just came off the pill, she called me. She said, "Sabs, why am I dating this guy? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's gross. Why am I dating him?" I said, I, "I was thinking the same thing. I don't know why." But when you have so many hormones. You're pumping into your body. You will, everything will be different. Hormones rule your body. They rule your decisions. So you're pumping a foreign hormone into your body. It's a synthetic hormone. It's not even real. So obviously you will make different decisions to when, if your body was clean. And yeah, it does change women's choices in so many avenues, not even their partner. Uh, The foods they eat, the mood that they're in, the places that they go, what they want from life. Everything can change when you are pumping so much hormone into your body. I'm glad you asked about hormone, by the way, because a lot of my friends currently are taking melatonin. Right, okay, the, the sleeping the sleeping drug, isn't it? Yeah, so you called it a sleeping drug. That's very interesting. Melatonin is a hormone. Melatonin is already made in your body. When you take synthetic melatonin that you bought off the counter, okay, you might be able to sleep for a week, a month, but what you're doing is you're stopping your body from making its natural melatonin. So eventually, you're messing up your melatonin production so badly that you will never have a good night's sleep again. Do not use melatonin. It is so bad for you. So how long can people use it if they are using it before they've got the permanent effect? Never. Just stop using it. You don't need it. There are so many other solutions for sleep. You do not need to put a hormone into your body. So what So what other things then are people taking in their daily lives that are supplements that have no point in being in the system because they're not getting involved? Because I know my dad has a, has a bit of a protocol. He's, like, he's, he looks all right. He's 70 years old, but he's, he, he looks good for his age. But he's like, he has garlic, garlic, good. cod liver oil. He has um, this, he has that. He, he's like... I take this, rosemary this, all the, it takes all this stuff. Right? <laughs> Sweet. And, and, and I want to know what stuff works and what stuff is, is, is absolute bullshit. I'm really glad that you asked. Anyone that eats spinach is ruining their health. And I get really pissed off when people think spinach is a health food. It is not. It's literally an anti-health food. Spinach has one of the highest levels of oxalates in any other fruit or veg. Oxalates are the anti-nutrient. They bind to the minerals and the nutrients in your body and they stop them from being absorbed. Don't believe everything that the health and food industry is telling you. It's all money, money, money. 
just just stop spinach so from your diet. That's one. What that, about that's that's my most my most important one for this year because I see more and more people are including spinach in their diet, and it really upsets me. Well, one one thing that really upset you the other day I saw on Instagram was yeah. um, peanut butter. Oh, yeah. You, you kind of got really triggered on peanut butter, and I, I, I kind of thought stand peanut butter. Right. So so break down peanut butter for me. You know. Um, okay. Let's let's start with the peanuts themselves. Okay. okay. So peanuts, when they're stored, when they're, when they're harvested, they're then stored. And I mean even when they're stored before you buy them in the store and after. They release a gas, and that gas is so carcinogenic. So those peanuts are then crushed and put into peanut butter. And there are so many oils in there. There are so many acids in there that are all carcinogenic. You're basically eating junk like junk to your body, you are hurting your body, you are reducing your health. But you hear all these uh, health health food blogs and videos and movies telling you that peanut butter is an excellent source of protein. It's all crap. For, for the amount of damage you're doing to your body, is that protein worth it to you? I doubt it. It's not. It's not. Throw away all the peanut butter. Even if it's organic, lovely, whole foods, peanut butter, hand-crushed by birds, don't eat it. It does taste good though, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But there are other things that you can have. And, you know, come on, it's 2023. You can find any other tasty things to eat. Just throw your peanut butter in the bin. These supplements are in health food stores. Like, you know, you've got Holland and Barrett in the UK. Yeah. You've got the, the, the kind of like uh, GNCs of the world, yeah. all this kind of stuff. They all... All these tablets that have all these binding agents on them and fillers and mm. everything else. Say, let's just say we're talking about some supplement that says it has a thousand milligrams of something, something, in it, something in it, right? Yeah. What's the actual bioavailability of the actual thousand milligrams of the thing that it says in it? Okay. Like how many of the, it's like, so for argument's sake, Good I've question. got, I've actually got some somewhere. I've got. I, was, I, I would have got them out on the podcast, but I've got I bought I bought some supplements. I was going to go over them with you, but like I just want to understand the bioavailability of some of the stuff that's in them. Good question. I think the bioavailability of supplements depends on the quality of the supplements. So if you're insisting on taking supplements, uh, go with Solgar. Solgar, S O L G A R. It's a brand that I have found is the most pure. You know, a lot of supplements don't have regulation, so they could be saying that they're offering you a thousand units of vitamin D and there's only 10 units in there. So yes, you're right. Uh, supplements are full of fillers, stabilizers, unnecessary ingredients that you're just, even olive oil is. I mean, everything has stabilizers in them. So when you're looking for bioavailability, the truth is I need to read that specific supplement to tell you what's going on. But what you can do is drink water that you've left out in the sun for like 15 minutes. The hydrogen bonds break, and that increases the bioavailability of all the supplements you're taking in your body. Just by putting it in the sun? Yes, for 15 minutes. How has that been proven? Science. I'll send you the papers. Uh, we'll have to. We're, we're gonna I have, read this stuff for fun. <laughs> no, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to put a link to that under this podcast. Yeah, I would pe- love pe- to. Pe- people are gonna come at me like, yeah. how's that? How's that proven? Yeah, One thing I life. have seen that is proven <laughs> that you've talked about on other podcasts yeah. that I don't think potentially got what you were saying. Yeah, <laughs> is um, is how intention changes the molecular structure of water. Yeah. Right now, I know there's a company in Australia called High Vibe that that 
sets intentions and sets nice. these things into water and then sells this water and the, the studies that have been done on the back of the people that take this water mm-hmm. even though it sounds huru guru it there there's something in this and you can actually see under on, on a microscopic level the the structure of the water that's that's where you set intentions to it and i went to a meditation session for a week with joe Dispenza, and he was explaining similar concepts of how the crystalline structures can change mm-hmm. Can you talk into that? Because I really want to. I really want people to get what you're saying there. Yeah. And let's put a link as well, and under the podcast, so people can read it and ratify it for themselves. Water is highly conscious, so it traps and absorbs any energy around it, and it can even be your own energy. I'll tell you why. Your heart right now is emitting an electromagnetic field. And that field... It's a can, damn good field, by the way. <laughs> I'll test it later. And that field can be felt many feet away. And we all have an electromagnetic field. So how can someone be so naive to think that water is not affected by our electromagnetic field? How can someone be so naive to think water is not conscious? Before we knew about gravity... People were naive. If we have proven that gravity exists, it's still a theory yet, by the way, but we pretty much know it's there. How can you be so naive to think that that is the only energy out there? There are loads of energies that we have not yet discovered. So my answer to that and all the trolls, the water trolls, don't be so naive. Because water is conscious water has memory i mean i have tested it in the lab over and over again i'll give you a different example because a lot of people talk about the the words that you say around water and how it changes the molecular structure so that's because water is conscious i'll give you another example water holds memory i did a really basic test in the lab i just had some soap some dish soap and i poured it into water mixed it around so obviously that is now soapy water I diluted that water so much in the lab until the water had no more soap left in it. And I proved it. I tested it, everything. No soap in that water. That water molecule still behaved as if soap was in there because water has memory. And this, and this brings me on then to obviously when going back to when women are on the pill and why it's so bad for society that women are on the pill is because obviously when they excrete that and they go to the toilet and it gets into the water systems and stuff like that, that is stuff that cannot be sanitized out of the water. So if you're still drinking all these other waters, even though they're processed, demineralized, whatever, whatever, you're still taking on those those chemicals and and that's why I think the world of men out there, their testosterone levels are dropping. You know what? I agree with you. But... Don't worry too much about the water because governments have great filtration systems. So that residual memory in there of the water or the substance is going to be so negligible. Don't worry about that. You men should worry about what perfume you're wearing, what soap you're you're using in the shower. You know, all of it has parabens inside. Right, okay. You must have heard of parabens. I have. I don't fully understand it on the level that you understand it. But you you don't even need to. Just understand that parabens are increasing estrogen in men. And right. you use it all the time. We, 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 all, we all do. But for men, it's particularly serious. Everything you use probably has parabens in it. Well, even like, even like Dior or so, something uh, like that. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't like it. Even Chanel, uh, no, but Chanel um, blues what I use. Yeah. But let's let's not uh, discriminate uh, against brands. So we love brands, but um, it's an everything because it's not the brand's fault. By the way, it's the manufacturer that is putting the parabens in there, and a lot of people don't understand what parabens do. It's absorbed through your skin. Your skin is an organ. So you men are increasing your estrogen levels daily just by taking a shower. So how can we stop it then? Look for paraben-free stuff. I know it's tough, but it's out there. You're gonna just have to look s- for paraben-free. Can you send products. us a link to like some some yeah. paraben-free stuff so we can start putting people on the right track? Or? Sure, yeah, yeah. I'm going to start making it in a few months. I'll send you that. Yeah, it's <laughs> Here we go. Straight, straight in. You've seen the niche. You're like straight in. I start a business. This is the delta, this right? Is, this is how you. This is how, this is how you identify them. So estrogen yeah. and men's increasing. What can we do? Remove the parabens. Yeah. Okay, how can we do that? I'll start a company doing it. No, it's, it's a great way of doing it. So you're going to start making the shower gels? The, the we'll have a product range. Um, the idea behind the product range fix that I started with Sarah Madani is that um, we are disrupting health. And disruptive health does not need to be expensive. That That is something that's very close to my heart. If you are in the 1% wealth of the world, you can afford the best health products. So that means if you can't afford the 1% of the best products in the world, that means you can't be a 1% in 1% health. That's not fair. Just because you're in 1% wealth doesn't mean you can't be in 1% health. And 1% wealth is classed as what metric? Because I was reading that like even if you've got £50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% in the world these days. Ah, okay. So maybe we base it by country. Okay. Maybe we, we base it by that. That might be more of a fair test. Okay, let's yeah. do so what what would a fair test be? Say what's the top one percent? Look at look at look at the let's look at we're both from the UK. The wealth in the UK, if you look at the top earners and we would calculate what is the top one percent. But I read the other day, I don't know if this is true, that a a household that earns a million dollars a year is considered middle class. I, I don't mean about class, but I mean what you can afford. Is that true? Well, I, I was reading a, I was reading an American peer review piece on on wealth, and they mm-hmm. say if you earn over two hundred and something thousand dollars a year, in there you're classed as a top one percent. How something. long ago was that data data taken? It would have been a couple of years. Mm-hmm. A couple of years, but 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 I but I still think that if you earn. A million, on my personal opinion, if you earn a million dollars a year, you're vastly underestimating what you need to be wealthy. Oh, right, especially it, if you have a tax man in your country. Yeah. So is, it, is that another, so have you moved to Dubai full time now? Yes. So you fully fully set yourself up here. So yeah. all your tr- trading companies are are owned by a holding company here, or no. how? Do, how do you no, it's it's a mix. I mean, you know, some of my companies are in the UK, and they will stay there. Yeah. But you just move yourself out of the, of the tax system yourself. So for anyone that moves to Dubai and they have a residency in Dubai, uh, your dividend income is tax-free. Right. So your, if your company pays you a dividend, it's tax-free, which is lovely. But I wouldn't try to... You know, some people really try to push the system and they move all their, their international income and companies uh, into Dubai. But no, I'm very proud to be British and I will keep my UK companies there. Do you, is it is it is there a a way that you can um, explain structure on here that kind of so that people can get 
better structure for Dubai. For, for, no, just just for like so. I've got a lot of listeners that are in obviously Australia, the UK, okay. and America, okay. right? Okay. Agree. What with obviously you can't give you're not giving people financial advice, and I'm not asking <laughs> you to just for just for people at home, but just from a from, just from a just from a, a a wealthy family point of view, how. What is the best way for people to structure so they can achieve that? Because you do need to be structured right to achieve what you what you're achieving and what your dad's achieved. You need to structure him right. So what what are the ways? Yeah, honestly, I would say seek advice from someone that creates trusts. Trusts are the best way to go. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, it doesn't matter. Money is money, and money is important, and money shouldn't be wasted, even if you have a lot of it. So if you build a trust around your companies, your properties, your wealth, um, that it will also protect the next generation and the generation after that. So what I want to ask on to go deeper into that is there are different trusts that hold different assets within a business. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've got intellectual property trusts. Yes. You, which, which, and there's different locations mm-hmm. for these trusts. Yeah. So what are the best locations in your estimation for intellectual property, mm-hmm. For your transferring of like your cash balances and stuff like that and for everything else? So I would say for cash balances, I would definitely say UAE. They have the most attractive banking systems as well for international income. The worst place, I would say, is the United States of America. Okay. For cash transfers, um, money movements, um, tax, um, tax on international income. I mean, people with green cards are so screwed because... People with a green card will be taxed on their international income no matter where you live. So even if you live in Dubai, you'll still be taxed, which is a shame. So that's probably the worst place uh, to set up trusts and set up your future wealth plan. I would say the UAE is really strong. And for intellectual property, I would go to Luxembourg. has a lot of um, tax breaks and incentives for people with IP. And I would say Geneva. Go to Switzerland. And this the setup it doesn't have to be expensive. I know it sounds all all complicated. It's really not. Just consult with a, a great expert and they will tell you where to park what. And you hold d- d- so your your trust will have a holding company and the holding company one of these one of one of your trusts will have a holding company and the holding company will hold yep. the business. And then you are you are the beneficiary of of of, of, the of, trust. of, of, of that. Mm-hmm. But your Another person I spoke to uh, t- uh, talking to me about structure said that these these should all be in different countries. What should all so, be in different so, countries? So he was he was saying to me that your intellectual property trust mm. should be in a different country to your holding company. And your holding company that holds all your companies around the world should be in a different country to that. So that your structure then cannot be attacked from okay. all angles. Okay, so there's arm's length. So, so, so they're arm length away, and he was just explained to me. Very interesting. I think I need to talk to this guy. But, 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 but I was just, I was just, I was just wondering whether you did it like that as well. No, you know what? Um, the answer is I don't know. Why? Because my family handles it. When it's time for right. me to take the lead of the family, I will learn all this stuff, and, and I will do it. This is another b- beautiful thing. Then that's gonna that I want to that I want to understand, and and this and this. It's powerful because what you just said there is is so true. Your family handles it, so your family's got probably a family office, mm-hmm. and got legal mm-hmm. and got everything structured. Do you think that 
this is where mo- most families in the world are, are going completely wrong because yeah. they don't have that. Because you, because yes. you, 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 you know that in, at any point in time, you've got a legal team, you've got a accountancy team, you've got you've got someone who can advise on structures and everything else. So there's a couple things. There's a few ways I would answer that. Every family should have a family constitution. And it has nothing to do with how much money you have or you don't have. Family constitutions are just a set of laws that the family is governed by so that there's no gray area. And this is what makes a family stronger. A strong family gives each member of the family strength. They do better in life. It's as simple as that. So in my uh, family constitution, my dad is in a family business. It's him and a few brothers. And all the cousins have to um, study at a top school, university. And if you don't get into a top school, you take a gap year and you reapply the next year, which one of my cousins did. And then if you want to be welcomed into the family business, you have to go work in one of the top four institutions in the field that you've chosen to study. So even if it's dentistry, be in one of the top four dentists or the top bank or the top law firm, top accountancy firm, uh, top consultancy firm, whatever, you have to be in the top four. Otherwise, you're not allowed in. So I did all of that. I did all the hard work. I was allowed into the family business and I hated it and I left. Because, <laughs> yeah, you, 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 went, you went from that yeah. into construction yeah. and then realised everything. And that's when, you, that's when you asked then for a loan so that you could go and yeah. create, forge your own path, right? Construction was not my passion. As simple as that. And I come from a Pakistani family. I don't have brothers. So my dad was trying to make me the son that he never had. And, you know, my, my dad taught me how to change car tire when I was like six years old <laughs> and I actually did it the other day in the airport <laughs> you change you change you change I changed the tire of a Range Rover in in Heathrow airport parking yeah wow because I landed I kept my car there I didn't have a driver and I needed to get somewhere really urgently and I realized I had a flat tire so I got out got the got the wheel out you know there's a spare in the back it's not a proper wheel it's the temporary wheel Got it out, took the, the thing, what do you call the thing that you step on to lift the car up? The jack. The jack, took out the bolts, put the, the temporary tire in, put the bolts in, but you don't tie them fully, you know, tightly until, until, until the all end. the bolts are in. Until the end. You do it loosely to make sure it all fits. You tighten it up, chucked everything back in the car and ran to my meeting. He, he taught me these things because he always wanted me to be his son. <laughs> so that, that, would, that would have... That would have um going back to some of the traumas and, and some of the things that would have been stored in, stored in you, the things that you'd have had to overcome, mm-hmm. knowing that your dad always would have wanted a son because of the, because of the Pakistani, that, that, that probably had some impact on you. That's so true. You know, I felt the pressure. I felt the pressure that I need to be my father's son because he deserves it and he should have a son and he should have someone to connect to. And, he really wanted it. I mean, he, he, he loves me. I, I know that. But I felt that I was trying to fill into those shoes. But the lucky part is that my mom kept me super feminine. She had me in blow dries from the age of 10 years old. <laughs> so she wanted you to, she wanted, she wanted to, to yeah, keep. Yeah. She to taught keep. me how to, how to be feminine, uh, luckily. Uh, but yeah, my dad really wanted a son. And, you know, he would enjoy doing the father-son things with me. I also enjoyed it. I'm so close to him, so... Yeah, I learned uh, DIY. I learned all these things. It's not like I use it a lot, but it was just a nice bonding time for us. 
What are two or three pieces of advice that your dad's given you that you've thought to yourself, that's some infinite wisdom? Yeah. The first one, never go against the family. Never, ever go against the family. Because when you do, there's a separation. For me, my family is my strength. I am also their strength. So when you go against the family, that unit is broken. My parents are divorced, but we're still a family. We're still a unit. We still support each other. And that is my biggest strength. So I know that doesn't work for everyone, but I think it's a really nice rule to have if you are going to decide to have a family. If you have that mindset, you tend not to go against the family because it's not an option. Whatever happens in life, get through it with the family. Don't leave the family. Don't don't screw your family over. Mm-hmm. Don't do the wrong thing. There are so many wealthy people out there that screw their siblings over for money. Yeah, one one of the one of the one of the things that um that 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 pains me that, mm-hmm. that is when families split yeah. the wealth yeah. on on the and they go oh here's fifty percent for the mm-hmm. son here's fifty percent for the daughter and it, mm-hmm. whereas my my thought process on that is it should all be put into one part and and uh, and all together and be multiplied yeah. and and uh, again and again and again yep. but uk families especially um not pakistani culture because pakistani culture is completely different you you guys all work together yeah. it's it's you come you, it's all same same you come to <laughs> the, the pakistanis that i know have all come to england immigrated like your dad yeah. they bought one house yeah. All the family lives there. Yeah. Then they go. Then they buy the house next door, and then, then all of a sudden they own the street. Yeah. I'm serious. People think I'm joking, but that's that, that's yeah. how I do it. And one of the biggest things that disrupts that is the splitting of the things. So that is a. That do is, you know why that happens when the sons get married? When a man marries a woman that doesn't have the same family values, the family is disturbed, and it's not the woman's fault. It's not the man's fault. It's just if you come from different backgrounds, it does not work because what happens is one wife will get jealous that the other wife got this and then they will start pestering their husband for that and then the manipulation starts and it doesn't work. I think men should be really careful about what wives they choose and a woman should be really careful to see if her husband aligns with how she was raised. Right. And is that a piece is that is that one of the pieces of advice that your dad gave no, you? No, this is just something I learned from looking at our family friends. <laughs> Right, okay, okay. Another piece of advice he gave me, I was super young. I remember I was I was under 10 years old and I was being bullied at school. I was the only brown girl in the year at my school. And I came home one day and I said, "Dad, you know, this girl is bullying me for my skin color." And it was the first time this had happened to me. I didn't even understand that race was a problem. And he got angry with me. My dad got angry with me that I was being bullied. And I said, why? And my dad said to me, if I hear you are bullying someone, I will be angry with you. If I hear someone is bullying you, I will be angry with you. And I said, why? That doesn't make sense. I'm the victim here. And he said, you shouldn't bully anyone because you should respect everyone. You shouldn't let anyone bully you because you should respect yourself. And that is the day I learned how to respect myself. No victim mentality, none of that. So I went back the next day and again, she tried to bully me. <laughs> I was just a kid, so don't judge me for what I said. 
So I went back to school and this girl said, your skin color is the color of shit, she said to me. And I said, oh, I don't care because your skin color is the color of the people that work for my dad. (laughs) 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 I didn't know what else to say, but I had to shut her up, right? And I was just a kid. I, I had to think of a comeback and she didn't bully me again. It's a pretty powerful one. Yeah, but this, this is what life teaches you. Anything else these pulled out the wisdom, the wisdom factory. Um, so that was that. Respect yourself always. Um, he also taught me again. He taught me to never live in it from a man's po- pocket. He said, "Always, always have a, a backup." And there is something he taught me, but he told me in code because you know we have this respectful relationship. We don't really talk about this stuff. He said to me, "Always, always." Live within your own means and never live in another man's pocket. Yes, men should take care of women and all the rest of it, but always be careful of a rainy day. And I said, okay, but if there's a rainy day and God forbid I get divorced or God forbid we lose everything we have, it can happen. I said, then what do I do? And he said, always use your brain to lead your life. And what he was trying to tell me is that as a woman, if you think that your looks are your only asset, you will be a home. Because it's the only currency you have. Never let your looks be your currency. Always allow your looks to be the least important part about you. And that is what will save you and protect you in life. One of the things I've, I've kind of presume, I'm, I'm presuming right now, but I just want you to talk into, mm-hmm. is I presume one of the biggest benefits of you going all to all these affluent schools and for your dad having you in all these affluent places wasn't for the education that you got it's for the connections that you got that allow you to do business right you know it's funny it's funny you asked me that because i would say no i'll tell you why i'm a real introvert so i probably could have made a lot more connections in school and university than i did i don't enjoy social situations i don't enjoy large crowds i don't enjoy talking to new people in my work i have to but i love one-on-one discussion or maximum one-on-two i don't like talking in big groups and big groups is where most networking happens even in university so i probably didn't take advantage of that but i was still okay because the connections that i've built are so solid because it was one-on-one Sometimes when you go to a networking event or a party or a trip or a class, the connections you make are a little bit superficial because there's so many of you. So there's no harm and there's no pressure to go and do all this networking. No, I I have to challenge your statement on that. I think all you need is a few really solid connections to get you where you need because it's about you. First, you have to build that solid idea. You have to build the solid business. Then use your connections to get it further. And your connections will come because when people respect you in your industry, the connections will come. Don't worry. Don't feel that pressure that, oh, I need to be here because I need to meet this person. I'm sorry. I totally disagree with that. So what do, why do the, 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 the generational wealthy families send their children to, the, to all the same schools then? I mean, many reasons, because they want to be around like-minded people. They want them to pick up cool friends. But I'm just telling you there's a way 
There is there, that, there that's there, different because I I proved it. There are I'm I've no doubt yeah. that there yeah. are other ways and that you've done it in a yeah. different way. I'm not yeah. saying that, but I'm yeah. saying that from what I've from the people that I've spoken to, the, yeah. they're not sending them to the school for the education. Okay, but the people you've spoken to were how old? My age? Mm, no, 45, 50. Okay, so my age and older. Yeah. Things have changed now. Yeah. yeah, before you had to go to the right school because you had to be around these kinds of families and you can only associate with, yeah. associate with these kinds of couples. But I'm sorry, things have changed. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work that way anymore. I understand why parents did it, yeah. but I would not even factor that in when I have children. I was just trying to get into, more than get into your mind on it mm. and your opinion on it, which I know you have mm. a strong opinion on it. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm more thinking of how your dad thought about it. And maybe your dad was thinking a similar similar thing. No, actually, my dad's personality is very similar to mine. He's quiet. Uh, so I don't think that was it. I think he really wanted me to be in a high pedigree, uh, yeah. good school for girls. <laughs> no boys. <laughs> so, so his, his, <laughs> his motivations were different. But um, no, I, I, I get the the overall obscure logic behind sending your kids or hanging out in places uh where there are aspirational or same um people as you but i think now that's very archaic the the, the only reason i ask these questions Sabra, is because i want to understand what it is i don't know so mm. so by even by you saying that mm. lets me understand things that i don't know yeah 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 like, sure and, so and likewise yeah. it, it's just it's just one of those things that yeah i think you, until you ask you, you just you don't know yeah. what you don't know yeah but if there's some there's got to be some questions that, you, that I've never, I don't really ask this a lot, but there's got to be some questions today that I could have asked you that I haven't asked you. What are some of those questions do you think? So it's funny that you haven't asked me about my future. You've asked me a lot about my past, which I'm happy and I love to speak about. And I also learn from you with your questions, but you haven't asked me about my thoughts or feelings on any facet of my future. So, what part of your what what are you what are your future plans in the next twelve months? Like what what next you what, yeah? Because I think I think future future plans are great, but I think people stretch too far in the future. Like I agree. What, what 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 are you looking to achieve in the next twelve months? So, from a business perspective, I have the next twelve months mapped out because this is my personality. So, I know when I have a launch. I know when I have to do public speaking. It's all on the calendar, and for my personal life. I have zero mapped out because I love it that way. Can you explain how you've got to the point in your life now where you can only work three days a week? Yeah. Um, uh, structure, experience, uh, confidence in your business, in, in putting good systems in there, building a good team. That has been the hardest part of my business to build a good team. I'll tell you why. It's so hard to hire the best person for the job because they usually don't need you. They're good enough to go and start their own business. So that is why I find it so hard to hire really good people. And I don't mean staff. I don't say employees. They are my team members. They're my team. But when they're so good, they usually don't need you. So how are you attracting the best talent? So... When I have someone that is really valuable to me, I work out uh, a scheme. I work out a scheme where they don't leave. They keep adding value to the business. For them to add value to my business, they have to be motivated. 
So in every company I launch, I keep a little bit aside of pool equity. Let's call it 5%. So they know that if they hit their KPIs and it can stretch over even 10 years, they get their equity. And it's, and it's only a small piece for you to keep on the sidelines anyway. Five, five to 10%. And it can add a massive rev, revenue so marble. Worth it. To you. So worth it. Because then they get to be a part of a business that they didn't have to invest in, do the hard work for. They just get to add value to the business. So if there's someone so valuable to you, don't be stingy with your equity. Where has this massively paid off? Like what kind of business has this massively paid off for you in? So because I'm in science, a lot of my scientists, um, they try to get poached by other biotech companies or by other pharma companies. And I have people, you know, offering them more money, offering them a better deal. And the way I've kept them is to lock them into my business. So they know that if they stay in the business and they own shares in the business, they ain't leaving. And they're going to do everything to make that business a success. So because scientists are so unique, they're so valuable, they can't be replicated. They, they are like gold dust to us. But they know it. So it's only fair that they get paid for their value. That is, is a way that I keep them with me. I'm loyal to them and they are loyal to me. And, you, and you, obviously you can, you can hold them account by that equity. But do, do, would a scientist then, someone who's massively valuable like that, would they be able to, to work within a couple of companies under your umbrella and have equity in other companies as well? Of course. Why should they be limited to yeah. my one tech? If they, they have the right to be involved in whatever they want, as long as it doesn't compete with my business. There's always that clause in the contract. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I meant more so under your group of businesses. That would be great. Like, so you might have one in solar here, but they might be able to apply their knowledge over here in skincare. Like basically. Look, scientists have transferable skills. As do you and I. So if there is a skill that I need in another sector, another business, of course I would call upon my own team first. Right. Okay. Because I know them, I trust them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in so in the next twelve months, what is gonna be your biggest business? Ooh. I can't predict the future, but if I could, um I'm launching the health and wellness brand in a few months. That is very exciting and I hope that it takes over the world because I want it to be a household name. Not because of the financial gain. The margins are small. I want everyone to deserve the right to health. That is my biggest goal in the world. I want everyone should have the right to health because you'd be surprised how many people don't have that access. Is this a similar business model then to what Mark Cuban's doing with no-cost drugs? low-cost drugs or something like that oh yes i i heard about that um no that is a disruptive way to sell them and i love the idea but he hasn't invented them he's just allowing people to access them for a better price which is fantastic with us um we are providing disruptive health so it's changing the way your body works or the way you take things and the way you live the way you sleep eat feel um, so we're doing uh, something that involves deep science. How do you pr- protect these ideas and these scientific profiles that you create? It's a great question. There are so many different ways. Uh, you can patent the, well, you can patent the product. You can patent the name. 
you can patent the ingredients, you can patent the recipe, you can also patent the process. You can do so many different patent applications for one product. And you have to decide and obviously take advice from your IP lawyer on which is the best way to do that. Now, if you don't want to go down that route, you can keep it as a trade secret. When no one knows how you do anything and you separate your internal structure so that no one in the company knows exactly how your product is made. And then you bring it to one location to put the formula together. Exactly. And is, is that how brands like Coca-Cola, Pepsi and all these kind of brands that have this kind yeah, of... Yeah, I think Nutella is even a trade secret. Really? Yeah, we know about the palm oil though, but yeah, it's a trade secret. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to touch on these things like palm oil um, and seed oils and stuff like that because obviously... The most difficult part to me, I understand the concept of like seed oils. They, they, they do something, to, they create some form of brown spots on your organs and that come through your they, skin as well. They, they can do, yeah. Not all, but they can do. Which I understand. But the problem is, every restaurant you go to, you don't know what they're cooking in. No. So, how, so how, do you even, how do we even navigate around this? You know, it's so tricky because the more you learn about science, the more you don't want to leave your house. It really makes you want to be so antisocial because you get so paranoid about what is out there in that big bad world. These days, everything gives you cancer. Um, so I think if you can just mitigate what you intake into your body at home, then at least you've done most of the work. If you're eating good, good veg, good fruit, good water at home, then be relaxed when you go on holiday or traveling or you eat out. You know, don't drive yourself crazy. But the most we consume is at home, usually. So just be mindful of that. Otherwise, you can make yourself crazy. With the knowledge that you can read even online, or if you yeah. ask me about, um, it can make you so paranoid. And then you're not even living life. What's the point? But yeah, come on, the vitamins you buy, the oils you buy in your house, the water that you drink in your house, that will significantly improve your health. So Don't worry it, about one dinner here and there. Is that so so water is the water is the one percent move where everyone can create the most change in their life? It's such a simple move to just switch your water to good water. You are over seventy percent water. Why don't you care about what you're intaking? Right, okay. And is it when is there, is there things like that you're doing like meditation and all this kind of stuff that you're putting, breath work maybe? Is, is there stuff like this that you're putting in the back end of your life that help you operate on a different level or do you not get involved in all that stuff? No, I do. You know, um, meditation, a lot of people ask me, do you meditate? And they're surprised to hear, no. I don't sit there with my legs crossed and I don't chant and I don't listen to music, but I have my own way to meditate. Do you know what meditation is? It's putting your body into a state where your electromagnetic field is more positive. That is what makes all the changes in your body. You know, there are other ways to make your field positive. For me, it's dance. I'm so happy when I dance. I release so much serotonin. My electromagnetic field feels extremely positive. We should test it one day. That is my meditation. Boxing, no boxing before, I, yeah. before, I, before I actively took part in in meditation as as the western world calls it now boxing was my meditation mm -hmm. so like going in the boxing gym even just doing 12 rounds on the bags three rounds of sparring that is meditation to me because you you when someone's throwing punches at you you're throwing them at you you don't have time to think about what's happening on your business you're only you're only I in that it. you're only in that is, that is the moment of your day where you'll be fully present in that moment i get it forces it. you to be present going to the cinema is a form of meditation to me 
because I love film, I never check my phone in the cinema. And any movie you watch, even if it's a shit movie, it will just transport you into this other zone where you're immersed in that. And I get a few hours of meditation. I get to switch off. I refill my body. And I feel really good when I leave the cinema. Do you do you have to carefully curate what films you watch though? Because <laughs> because of some of the programming in some of these things. There's programming in everything. I can program you right now if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> wow. that, well, that escalated. <laughs> oh. but, but it's true. I was giving you an extreme example yeah. because everything can program you. A yeah. color can program you. I mean, if... They say, do, they say do watch out for the woman in the red. They, they, <laughs> do they? They, they, they do, say. They, they do say that. <laughs> well, in every movie, even like The Matrix, is the woman in the red dress that causes you the problem. Yeah, and, and the red lips. The woman with the red lips is always the devil. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm not careful about what movie I watch. I mean, there's so much consumption since the day you, the moment you wake up from the time you go to sleep. There is so much consumption on your phone, on the radio, talking to people, your environment. Going to the cinema is hardly anything these days. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just be smart enough to know how what to is really, how yeah, to what, what is really going into your body and what you retain and what you... Just deflect. So, Saba, if there's one piece of golden wisdom that can move everyone in this audience 1% further in their life today, and you've got to check out the world, and you can't take any of the science stuff with you, can't take any of it, but you could just leave one pearl of wisdom mm. that you've experienced in your life over the last 35 years, what would it be? Never get complacent. If you are doing well in life, if you're not doing well in life, always question everything. That is what will keep you disruptive in life and that is what will keep you ahead in life. And also, and also. never trust the woman with red lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> never. I, no, I, I, appre I appreciate you coming and, and distilling this wisdom today because I, I know the first part of the podcast was, was kept out of the past because I really wanted this audience yeah. to understand yeah. the family dynamic yeah. and the kind of um, how how wealth moves and works and the systems and the, and the stuff that you've, that you've had in your life that perhaps maybe even you've not even realised potentially at some subconscious levels because it's just, it's just something you've known. Uh, I really want to understand that, f not just for myself, but for the audience as well. So I, I thank you for explaining that. And it was interesting to get into the structures and stuff. But guys, do me a solid favor. Like, subscribe, share this on Instagram, all the platforms. And I'll be tagging all the resources that Saba gives me in the description under yes. this video. Yeah. And she'll put links to all the science and everything else. And if I miss it, just hit me up in the comments and tell me. But at, at Saba Yusuf on Instagram. At Saba Yusuf on Instagram. Follower. And thank you very much thank for coming Thank you so on. much for having me. Much love, guys. <laughs> Guys, do me a solid favor, drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next. <laughs>